Well, on Communion Sunday, I decided to spend, uh, to take a break, a uh, quick break from our Genesis studies and uh, spend a few moments uh, looking at the cross, uh, the devotional on the cross of Christ, on following Jesus. So turn, if you will, in uh, the Word of God, however you've brought it, to uh, Luke, the ninth chapter. Pick up the reading at verse 18 and on down through verse 27. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, his disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah. And others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me in my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for your word. It is truly your inspired and infallible word of revelation to us. It is sufficient for our salvation. It tells us what we need to know to seek you, to follow you, to strive, and to be uh, one who endures to the end by faith in Christ Jesus. Oh, Lord, feed us that bread of life. We need it. Uh, We are those who walk by faith, walking, trusting in your promises, seeking you with all of our heart and strength. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Many years ago, it was uh, William Booth who wrote, the chief danger of the 20th century will be religion without the Holy Spirit, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. He was speaking about the 20th century long ago. I think by the time we've gotten now into the 21st century, we've pretty much arrived at that place. I was surprised uh, when I read Michael Horton's book about 10 or 12 years ago called Christless Christianity. And we, we, as we observe, read books like that and observe, we know that far too much of today's evangelical church has implicitly rejected a fully biblical Christianity because they have explicitly rejected a fully biblical discipleship. Far too much of what we call today's evangelical church has embraced what's been termed an easy believism. Okay, it's a costless faith, as it, as it were. It's a believing that makes 
almost no or little difference in one's personal character and one's ambition, one's lifestyle. It's really a faith without following Christ. It's an embrace of the cross for salvation from the, the guilt and the penalty of sin, but it's really a rejection of the cross as a matter of salvation from the dominion or the grip of sin. Well, in our passage this morning, Luke shows us how desperately wrong that is. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus here reveals not just the the nature of the Messiah's ministry, that he came as the suffering servant to go to the cross to the shock of his disciples, to bear the penalty for our sin, but it also reveals the nature of the, of the Messiah's disciples, that Christian living also involves cross-bearing, right? Meaning following Jesus. If we were to follow Jesus, it means we follow him to the cross. Well, we read straight away in our passage that one day Jesus was praying. Apparently, he was praying alone, but he was not alone. His disciples were with him, you're told. And so Jesus asked them, it seems random, but it's not, I'm sure, obviously, who do the crowds say that I am? The question Jesus asks made me wonder what he was praying For what was he praying? Maybe he was praying that many, in fact, would come to know him, that they would receive his words by faith, that they would uh, embrace his kingdom, knowing what his ministry is, and that they would also become his disciples. So who do they say that I am? Do they understand? Well, (laughs) the one thing that's clear is no. They were confused. Well, we don't know. Some thought John the Baptist, some thought Elijah coming back, or Maybe one of the prophets has arisen, but ultimately we don't know. And so Jesus said, you know, of course, famously in Matthew 16, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ of God. Or in Matthew 16, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's an incredible confession that Peter made only by the Holy Spirit, but what's even perhaps a bit not, well, not more incredible, but what's amazing, as accurate as that was, is that Peter had no idea the implications of the confession he just made, which Jesus immediately spells out. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, these Jewish leaders, and be killed and on the third day be raised again. As you know and embrace, the only possibility of God rescuing a sinner from the just and rightful penalty of that sin is, well, his Christ, his Messiah, his anointed one must suffer and die, paying the penalty for that sin and be raised again because sin requires a death, right? The wages of sin is death. The soul that sins shall die. Sin requires a death. Now, the author of Hebrews puts it kind of interestingly in in chapter 9, when he refers to this as as a will or a testament, he says, therefore, and we're familiar with this, if you, I'm sure most of you, hopefully all of you have written a will or a, what's it called, a last word in testament, something like that. And the, the author there says, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant 
so that those who, who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. Just as in a will that you might be a part of, that person has to die and that, will, that death has to be established. For a will takes effect only at death since it is not only in force, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. So Jesus' death and, of course, his resurrection conquers death. It is the victory over death. Because of Christ's death, death has no sting. It has no victory. I love, I'm not sure you're familiar with the title of John Owen's famous book. The, the book is great, but the title alone is great. The death of death in the death of Christ. Isn't that great? In Christ's death, death has died. I love it. Okay? But here's the thing. Believers also share in his death. Paul said plainly in Galatians 2, probably a lot of you memorize this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, right? Cross-bearing is not only for Jesus, but it's for every disciple as well as the imperative of discipleship. The teaching of the gospel is that the, the way, the path to life, the way to life is the way of the cross. In fact, Paul put it this way in Romans 6, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. There is no union with Christ in his resurrected life where there's not union with Christ also in his death. All of us, Paul wrote, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. If you've been baptized into Christ, You've been baptized into his death. That's the idea of being identified with Christ. We are identified with him as a suffering, as a dying, as a penalty-bearing Christ. To be his disciple is to be like him. Isn't that what your heart's desire is? In fact, he said a disciple is not above his teacher. Okay? Everyone, when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. If you've ever had a mentor in work, you want to be like your mentor. You want to have the skills and the abilities and even the character like the one who is mentoring you, right? Um, Susan Hunt's great discipleship ministry is about mentoring other people, okay? To be like Jesus is to be a cross-bearing person. Now, of course, it's really important to understand what this doesn't mean, okay? We don't need to understand this as meaning Christ's cross-bearing is not sufficient, completely sufficient for our redemption, for our salvation, for our forgiveness, okay? He doesn't need us to do something to complete His redemptive work, okay? His death is the complete ransom for our salvation, and it's completely sufficient to redeem us from all our sins. Again, Hebrews, an important book. Uh, the author wrote, He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And even more pointedly, Christ was offered once to bear the sin of many. And by one offering, He has perfected forever 
those who are being sanctified. So the, so the redemptive work of Christ, the cross work of Christ, is a once for all time. We're not continuing to sacrifice him in this table, okay? He's no longer on the cross bearing the penalty, okay? His work was done historically in time and place once for all of his people for all time. There's nothing left to be done. So that begs the question then, what does it mean to take up your cross? Well, many people speak of various circumstances as the cross they must bear, right? And that might mean some long-term illness or some physical affliction. It might even be a, a difficult family member, spouse, or a child, or a challenging job, or, or something else. And there is no doubt that each of us have many challenges. You probably don't know what challenges, what struggles even some of your close friends uh, have, certainly ones that aren't so close, okay? We all have difficult challenges, and yet this is not what Jesus had in mind because with regard to these circumstances, we are mainly passive. Oh, sometimes our decisions might bring about some negative consequence, but still, no one chooses to be sick no one chooses to have a difficult marriage. No one chooses to be fired from a job. Jesus is speaking about things in which we are active, not passive. He says, you must, in the New American Standard, or, or here at ESC, let him take up his cross. It's something that we are to do as a matter of obedience. It's a choice that we make. The choice of, as it were, self-crucifixion. And so I think the, the key to understanding this is the imperative, he must, again, using the New American Standard, which I like better, it has the idea of this imperative, this command, he must deny himself. Okay, what does that mean? Well, to deny is really to renounce or to reject. It's to refuse or to say no to. No, I'm not going there. No, I don't want that, okay? Now, that word shows up actually with regard to Moses in Hebrews chapter 11, which we sometimes call the hall of faith chapter. Referring back to Moses, it says, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused, that's that same word, okay, refused or denied to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. So what was Moses doing? He was denying or he was renouncing his family, meaning he was rejecting that inheritance he had or would have had as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Okay, Why? That he might gain the inheritance of the people of God. So Moses effectively took up his cross. Okay, He rejected that worldly lifestyle which he possessed as his upbringing, because he was rescued by Pharaoh's daughter, okay, that he might have a close association with the people of God and the Word of God. Now, don't misunderstand either. It wasn't he was rejecting his family outright, okay, as though he didn't like them, he didn't care for them, okay. It was an embrace of self-denial. It was his choice for the, 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 the holy pleasure, as it were, to be with God's people and to be under the Word of God than in, involving 
the, uh, in, to be engaged in the self-indulgent world of sin. He willingly lost his life for the sake of the kingdom of God, refusing to live for selfish and worldly pleasures. Now, I trust you understand that sin is one of the most defining aspects of human nature. There is no time when we are not fighting sin or should be fighting sin. We're not dealing with sin. You can't rightly understand human nature and human behavior unless you understand that we are sinners. It's not just that we sin, though that's true, okay? We sin because we are sinners. Our nature is that we are full of sin. Our nature is that we are transgressors. We are rebels, okay? We are disobedient. We are violent. We are proud. David even said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin, my mother conceived me. Now, he was not blaming his mother. He was not saying, Mom, this is your fault because you and Dad did something wrong in your conception of me. No, he's saying, this is the depth of my problem. From the moment of my conception, I've been a sinner. Okay, it's not an excuse. It's a statement of the severity of the problem. It's such a serious problem that there is no solution to my sin problem and to your sin problem except by the death of Christ. Oh, you can pay for your own sin issues, but it won't be going to heaven. It will be by eternally bearing the Lord's condemnation, okay? But Christ's death provides forgiveness, but His death alone. And His death, while justifying us, it doesn't completely deliver us from our inclination or our bent or our proclivity to sin, there remains in us, and I trust you know this, this bent towards sin, this continuing after sin. Paul spoke of this in, Rome, in a place like Romans 7 so profoundly. He said, nothing good in, dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. Can you relate to that? I know I can. Well, this is what Jesus is addressing. He is saying that every one of his disciples must deal with his sin. Every disciple must embrace this self-denial regarding his past life or her past life as a person of the world, as his former lifestyle, as dead, it's a rejection of that, a renouncing of that, a saying, no, I am not that person anymore. I don't want to go that way anymore, okay? Again, what did Paul say? I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. It is Christ who lives in me, and the life I live in, now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you hear what he said here? Self-crucifixion and living by faith are really one and the same thing. I have been crucified with Christ. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. So where there's no self-denial, where there's no self-denying practice, practicing a, a rejection of, the, of that worldly lifestyle, there really is no faith. Now, many, many Christians like to wear a, a cross as a symbol of their faith. 
And I'm not speaking against that, but what I'm saying is we are called to bear the cross to express the reality of our faith. We are to live as those who are dead to this world and alive to Christ. I don't want you to, to neglect the, the sober warning in verse 26 in our text. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the glory of the angels. We mistakenly think that our, our true beliefs are revealed by the things we confess. I don't think that's true, actually. Our true beliefs, our true beliefs are revealed by the things we do, okay? And if you will not embrace the cross of Christ in your life's choices and decisions, then perhaps you're ashamed of Christ and His cross, regardless of what you confess, okay? In other words, in our words, our actions, our choices, we must identify with Christ and His cross. His death to all things worldly and sinful, okay? If we're not willing to do that, are we then ashamed of the cross? Or what we're really embracing is the world and its passions. And so often preaching these days is about, oh, feel good, be good. And the, the church is not much different than the world, even as Israel was not much different than the world. We're not rejecting the world because we're not taking up our cross daily. And if that's the case, Jesus says, I will be ashamed of you when I come back in glory. What a sober, frightful warning that when he comes back to judge all of mankind and if he finds you naked, that is, if he finds you bereft of cross-bearing works, then he might cast you off. Even again, as he said this, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you who know them, you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. They had a certain profession. They said, Lord, Lord. They even had certain religious actions. But he said, I never knew you. You are one who practices lawlessness. Their, their practice contradicts their profession. And this is the reason some people are confused by James when he said, I will show you my faith by my works, okay? It's not that he, his works assisted his justification. No, but justification was working out itself in his lifestyle. So there are really only two ways. The fact is it's, it's man's way of self-indulgence, the way of the flesh, or it's the way of the cross, which is the way of the Spirit. Paul said, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify 
the desires of the flesh. The flesh and the spirit are contrary. They oppose one another, okay? And so self-indulgence is the way of death. The cross is the way of the spirit. It's the way of the life. And so in every aspect of our lives, every moment, every part of our lives, we are to embrace the cross. We are to reject that old man, that old way, and say, no, I'm not going there anymore by the grace of God. Let me walk by the Spirit. Let me take up that cross of self-denial and renouncing of that old lifestyle. Well, Jesus closes this exhortation by promising the eternal kingdom to some who are standing here. And honestly, I'm not entirely sure what that means with regard to the coming of Christ. But in context, the some are those who are not ashamed of His cross and those who willingly embrace it for themselves. Because this cross-bearing people is the new humanity God is creating in Christ. 2 Corinthians, for the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ constrains us because we have concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised again. I mentioned Horton's book from about 10 or 11 years ago, Christless Christianity, I commend it to you. But a Christianity without the cross is essentially a Christianity without Christ. You know, we know that the Bible clearly teaches, clearly teaches that salvation is a free gift from God, but we too often misunderstand that, okay? It means you can do nothing to merit eternal life. You can perform no works to gain eternal life, to gain God's favor, to somehow find justification in your own actions and decisions and choices, okay? But there still is a cost, and that cost is huge. What is it? It's your life. It's your selfish, worldly, past life. It must die. Again, if anyone would come after me, whoever would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow, it, follow me. That means, beloved, there is no one following Christ who is not taking up his or her cross. There's simply no other way to dwell in intimate communion with Christ because our identification with Christ by faith is nothing less than an identification in Christ's death and burial and resurrection. Amen. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for these words, which are, which are hard words to hear because we can be a stubborn, rebellious people. And, oh, Lord God, even as believers, there is too much of a bent towards sin. We need to walk by the Spirit that we might mortify, that is put to death, those old passions and lusts and desires, those of the old man in which we once formerly walked. But we have been born again. We have been raised to a new life. We are new creatures in Christ.
And so we boast in the cross of Christ, not just for, for our life, but for our lifestyles as well. Lord, give us the courage to deny that old man, to renounce those old ways as Moses walked away from the palace, walked away from the riches of the Pharaoh's lifestyle to be identified with the suffering people of God in your word. May we do the same, O God, and deliver many from sin. Even this day, may someone be convicted, perhaps, that they are not walking in the way of Christ. They have not embraced the cross. Would you, O God, save them, add to your numbers of your people, even many this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.